Xin chào. Chúng bệnh số. Mình gọi là bác. Ní hào. Selamat siang. Sabai đi tuần sau. Assalamualaikum. Tuadi. Selamat pagi. Magandang umaga. Welcome to the Lotus Talks. Hi, let me introduce myself. I'm Granger Whitelaw, CEO of the Vietnam Group, and I host the Lotus Talks. The Lotus Talks is a show where we talk about the people and the companies that are making a difference in Vietnam and Southeast Asia, or doing good while doing well, as I like to say. It's the golden age here, and there are many exciting things happening. I hope to bring as much to you as possible. So get your coffee, sit back, and relax. And let's go! Good morning. It's Granger Whitelaw with Lotus Talks. Thanks for joining me today. This is the first of a three-part series that I'm doing on manufacturing in Vietnam and Southeast Asia. Uh, manufacturing, retail, and then fashion, kind of the growth of the industry, um, beginning with Bill Watson at Coates to discuss manufacturing textiles with us. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Granger. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you, my friend. How are you? I'm okay. You know, we're all getting used to working from home and uh, and doing things a little bit differently over the past um, eight months as a manufacturer. So it's been it's been an exciting um, and challenging eight months. Well, it must have been really uh, a very different set of circumstances than you've ever had to deal with before, or maybe you've had some experience with this in your 22 years in Asia with SARS before, and and we can get into all those details uh, on this remote interview. We're, we're actually remote right now, and I've dialed on the phone, and uh, it actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, real quickly, you're married to Diana, and you have two beautiful daughters, and, and you're living in Vietnam now. And you have been here in Vietnam for 10 years with Coates? 10 plus years. Yes, you're right. Granger, I um, I've been in Asia for uh, going on 27 years now, and have uh, wow. uh, lived and worked in. I've worked in virtually every country. I've lived in several of them. I'll, I won't go go through the list, but um, yeah, that uh, we we came to Vietnam from Singapore in 2010, um, and have really grown to love Vietnam and all of the opportunity that it brings with it. Absolutely. Well, no, Singapore obviously is part of the Asian market, and I am interested in where you've lived over the 27 years because this podcast is not just for Vietnam, but we do cover Asian, and I think it gives us uh, some good reference for people of your depth of your experience. So where else have you been in Asia? Well, sure. So in 1994, I, I came to uh to Asia from America, from South Carolina, and worked for a chemical manufacturer uh, and textile manufacturer named called Millican and Company. Sure. Um, the first stop was Korea, and I lived and worked in Korea starting in 1994, and basically to open up Asia for um, for Millican's chemical business. And and uh, myself, along with a very small group of people, went around to uh, to really introduce ourselves to the market. So um, I at that at, in the beginning I was still living in America. I would take two trips a year. One trip was from January 15th to about May 15th and would buy plane tickets up and down Asia and try to meet distributors, agents and, and companies to, um, to, to 
introduce them to our products and sure. services. And then around July, I'd take another trip from July till about December the 1st. And we would get back. This was all pre-internet. This was really just pre-fax even. Yeah, shaking uh, just hands, started, right? You were shaking hands and seeing people. And we would just get everything that we'd done on our trips from three months or four months of, of being in hotels and traveling wow. and dump it out on a desk and sift through it and see what customers we could find wow. and what opportunities we could find. Exciting, though. I mean, what a, what a great thing to do as a young man to have that opportunity. I, I was in Korea in 88. I actually absolutely loved Korea. I lived in Seoul. But, but uh, what a great experience that must have been. It was fantastic. I think they chose me because they knew if I disappeared that nobody would know I was gone. Actually, so, um, but it was it was really it was it was it was really some of the best experience. And I had met um, I met people who took me under their wing and really showed me how to do business, sure. behave myself, act, um, uh, and uh, and work. You know, in you and around yourself? Asia. Okay, uh, sometimes. <laughs> So, uh, so that brought you eventually to Singapore, and brought, brought me brought me to um to Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong. after that, and uh, based myself in in Hong Kong, and worked a lot in Taiwan and in China, uh, in Zhejiang and Jiangsu provinces, uh, and um, and and uh, Thailand, I guess. I, I spent you know I lived in in Hong Kong, but I was over the border every week, or or, or you know in wow. the eastern southern parts of China and Taiwan, again, basically meeting chemical companies, large chemical companies. And I remember when I um, went to China just for the first time around around 19, uh, well, for the first time going to pitch products and services to chemical companies, I went and saw this relatively small state-run company called Sinopec. <laughs> And was able to go in and, you know, and talk to the, to the leadership at Sinopec about what this American company was doing. Of course, now Sinopec has grown by what a thousand fold and they're, you know, they're probably one of the biggest companies in the world, but it's amazing to have been able to kind of be a, a witness to that wow. spectacular growth well, that's you've happened. Seen, you've seen so much growth in the 27 years in Asia. I'm sure it's, it's currently the fastest growing economy in the world, right? So you, you really have been here in the golden age of Asia. I have. I, I am a growth guy. I'm. I'm a guy that has my business um, background has been in growth businesses. So to have been in these countries when they were all growing has been something that I've learned. You know, learned how to do because I've experienced it. And then coming to Vietnam ten years ago, um, that was Hong Kong, uh, China, and then Singapore for about ten years, mm. uh, and and then here. I have just been able to been fortunate and grateful enough to experience to experience these real these growth trajectories of all of these asian markets and over literally the past, in the best yeah. timing right hong kong first then singapore which was really came after hong kong and now vietnam which is you know the really the fastest emerging market in in, in Southeast Asia. I, I have i have been able to get on a wave starting in korea and that wave has just kept on moving and yeah. pushing that growth wave has kept on pushing and i and i'm i'm really lucky to wow. to not have have uh had to wait for another one you know yeah, just stay long enough till they throw you out and go to the next one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now you're here, 10 years in, right. in Vietnam, and really that 10 years, the last 10 years of Vietnam have been 7% compound annual year-on-year growth, right? It's just growing, 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 and uh, and your business with Coats, yeah, how big was that 10 years ago, and and. How big is it now? Wow. Um, well, in a macro sense for Vietnam, the 7% is right. But in the textile industry, um, it's uh, 
and in, 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 in our business, it's been plus 10 every year. Okay. So we've grown some years by 15, 16%. I think we've grown a couple of years in single digits, eight or nine, but for the most part, it has grown. It's, um, I don't know if I'm not, I'm not sure Granger that I'm, my boss will allow me to tell you exactly what it is, but I'll give you a, some ballparks. All right. I'll give you some ballparks. It's, um, um, we are, uh, we are a north um north of a hundred million dollar um company here in vietnam and and of course coats uh uh coats group around the world is is uh over a billion and a half u s dollars selling primarily industrial sewing threads mm-hmm. It, we've sold industrial sewing threads. The company has been doing this and has been in business for 270 years. So Since before Thomas Edison, right? Well, before Parliament was actually fa- was started in the UK, just right around that time, and actually Thomas Edison used. Funny you bring that up. Thomas Edison used Coates threads um, in his invention of the light bulb. Right. Yeah, I, I read that. Yeah. <laughs> And I understand that every month you produce enough thread to to reach the sun. Is that right? Yeah, you've been on our website, haven't you? Well, I do a little homework, Bill. Yeah, I mean, you, you do. I'm actually we, that's true. In in Vietnam, we make about a million miles of industrial sewing thread a day. Wow. So and we have and we have two facilities here, one in the north that services the northern part of Vietnam and Laos and one in the south that's primarily for um, the rest of Vietnam, southern and central in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And about 95 percent of what we make actually um, is delivered into Vietnam. And then that gets put into things like shirts and shoes, furniture, coats um, and jackets and dresses, all kind of apparel uh, and footwear and accessories and not apparel items that need a long thin um substrate that that connects things or does sure. a job yeah that's coach fong fu at the Vietnam coach Vietnam. fong fu that's right coach fong fu coach fong fu was um uh was uh started in 1989 mm-hmm. uh i think we were probably one of the first what we were among the first um uh joint ventures that were established in vietnam in 1989 right right and so you are managing director of that organization up until this past year? Or? That's correct. Yeah, I was managing director of, of that, of, of, of what we call the Vietnam cluster, which includes Vietnam, uh, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, um, Malaysia, Indonesia, and then Australia, New Zealand. We have several factories um, around this area. And um, yes, I was the managing director of that and, and, and ran that business until April of this year um, when I moved um, on to manage the Chinese. China uh, cluster, and the China cluster is Greater China, uh, Japan, Korea, and Pakistan. Wow. So you had about 2,000 employees in Fong Fu, correct? That's right. We, we um, in, I think we started in 2010, and this is sort of interesting, and, and it's a it's a good barometer of how the industry is moving. We had about 1,600 employees uh, in 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 the south of Vietnam in 2010, making, let's call it, making one X worth of goods. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have about 1,200 uh, employees making five times that amount. Wow. So when you talk about productivity and you talk about efficiencies and watching and being able to sort of move from, you know, throwing people at a problem or, or production to really trying to, to become more productive and have people doing really more value-added things than pushing things around, for sure. example. 
example. Um, you know, that that's something I've been able to watch and experience and, and really learn a lot from over the past 10 now, years. That's due to like advances in technology, obviously better training by your team and your staff of the uh, Vietnamese and Cambodia teams. I'm sure all of those have increased your proficiency and efficiency, right? Of the manufacturing process. Yeah, it's, it's, um, there are some, there are some machine and asset um, additions that you make to improve efficiency, right? You know, um, except for it's really also just in terms of how, tra- how trained, um, that we are, you know, what training we're providing the people, um, and then the efficiencies that they, they are doing, you know, for example, at 10 years ago, if you had somebody that was, whose job was to, um, to put a bag on something, that's just all they did. Mm-hmm. And, and if, when there was nothing to put a bag on, they stood around and mm-hmm. we've just learned that things like multi-skilling of associates are so important. So when that person that was putting a bag around something before they could move to another job and do, do that other job when they, we, you know, you know, when we needed them to, um, was, was really important. And when we actually l- allow people to be multi-skilled, we can actually pay them more too. Absolutely. Because, and, and so that's a win-win for everybody, to be honest. Um, the textile industry is an industry that, um, traditionally uh, for, for decades is, is, has, has done something called chasing the cheap needle. Okay. Right. And right. chasing the cheap needle normally meant you went to the place that had the lowest labor costs. In Vietnam, uh, it's it, there's two real things that that attract people to Vietnam. It, that's low relative cost and low risk. Mm-hmm. If you want the lowest cost, go you go to. If you want the lowest cost of labor, you go to Bangladesh. That's the lowest labor cost. Okay. Um, but if you want today, okay. but if you want the low, but if you want to make sure that you can balance the risk with the cost, Bangladesh might be wanting, might, might be a little bit deficient in terms of things like infrastructure, ports, uh, electricity, sure. and, 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 and I guess that's infrastructure, but the, there are, uh, the roads and, and other things. So if, if you need to have, um, winter jackets delivered to, um, you know, to Cincinnati, Ohio for the back to school promotion on August 21st, you can't put all your, be- your eggs in the lowest cost basket. Right, so right, right. typically brands kind of break it up and they and they manage that risk and cost to try to make sure that they can get the goods they need back to the places that, you know, the consumers want to buy. Mm-hmm. And this is all under the, they call the CMT model? Um, CMT, yeah. So CMT is a model, right? So, so that's, that's a basic model, but more um, contractors. So, more more brands and contractors want to want to move away from a CMT model because it, it's it's more profitable, right? Cutting and making and packaging, um, basically being the manufacturing box, is a thing that makes some money. But really, the profits only come from your ability to be efficient and and and, and get a little bit more than your actual costs. Right, right. What 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 contractors really want and brands want is they want to be able to help be involved in the development. And the sourcing of materials, the innovation and the development of, of, a, of, a, of a shirt or a pair of uh, athletic shorts or a pair of, of shoes. And the more you can push yourself into that back integration, then, then the more profitable a company can be. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, um, you know, Move big brand- an OEM or an ODM kind of, kind correct, of correct. Yeah. You know, big brands treated, uh, in Vietnam, um, in the early days, right. As a box, you would send a, a container of raw materials. You would have placed your cheap labor and your, your managers from whatever you country that you came from in Vietnam. You'd, you'd have a cinder block building. You'd push the container of goods in. You take them out, follow the directions, make whatever it was, put them back in the container and send it away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And that's not that that was profitable, but not as much as being able to develop source and, and do all of that stuff from here. And frankly speaking, now Vietnam is 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 more than capable and equipped to 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 um to take on that extra value. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of FDI investment coming into the textile and garment industry here. Right. And it, it's really shifting towards manufacturing fabrics and raw materials and. And you see the government supporting Vietnam with the these new um, parks, you know, the uh, the textile the, parks, in right? Non-band. The industrial zones, yeah, industrial zones. So uh, there's a lot of that investment going, and I guess supporting these new business models that you uh, that you're talking about. Yeah, there, there is the 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 so Vietnam has um, grown up over the past 10 years um, in productivity and efficiency and the ability to add these value added parts of the supply chain that are necessary. So it's, it's really good. The one thing that Vietnam doesn't have right now is fabric production. So you, you just set it. And, um, and so Vietnam um, has good yarn making, for example, in cotton, except for Vietnam then has to sell the yarn to China. China makes the fabrics. Then they buy the Chinese fabrics back from China and they miss out a very valuable piece of the supply chain. There's really not, I thought there was fabric manufacturing. There is fabric manufacturing made here, but I think that they're, they're billions of yards short of of what they need. And I think the government, as you said, has recognized that and they have a a plan in place to make sure that that's, that can, can come, come back into Vietnam and they don't have to rely on other countries. Well, even raw materials, right? Because I, I, I I know that raw materials are a big thing. You get a lot of raw material from China. That's right. uh, yeah, and, and we need more raw materials here. I don't know how you solve that problem. Well, the what you do is you try to, um, you know, we, we have something that we refer to as a Vietnam for Vietnam um, kind of a, of a goal. So we want to, and COVID was a great example of this. We had a huge, the, the world had a huge supply shock in January right. when China ceased to be able to make for six weeks, um, whatever widgets, you know, it was, they were making a huge supply shock for people that had, for people that had all the raw materials or the bulk of their raw material supply in China, they suffered for six or eight weeks. We couldn't get anything. Absolutely. Now, now for our business, we, we saw this about three years ago and we, um, moved, I think we, we get about 80% of the raw materials that we use to produce our products from, uh, from outside of China. So, so that was a, that was a great foresight. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say it was lucky, but maybe a little bit, but it was great <laughs> foresight to, to know that, you know, to, to be able to continue producing here in Vietnam during the first quarter. Chain. Yeah, the first and second quarter of this year when it really, you know, mattered and when when things were really stuck in but, China. I mean, Bill, even before that, right, you have – and now you're running China for coats. So this is something you as an individual need to really figure out how to mitigate the risk of China and U.S. import war, right? The the, the, the war on China from, uh, from, from the U.S., which is the number one export for, I think, Vietnamese products, certainly, and, and probably one of the biggest for Chinese and – that's something that you have to figure out how to diversify as well. And how do you balance that with 
you know, your staffing and, and the rest of your supply chain? Well, it's, it's, it's challenging. Like I said, it's been a challenging year. <clears throat> I, I don't know. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know if um, anybody in the world had ever has, has any experience in what we just witnessed and, right. and, and been a part of over the past six months. But it's been very challenging. Um, things like uh, in logistics and transportation, you know, instead of it being a binary air freight or sea freight, there are there are multimodal transportation now. So air freight was super expensive, but it got it there in a week. Sea freight super, you know, relatively cheap, and it gets it there in a month. But gosh, what if you need it in two weeks, right? And you don't right. want to spend the air freight. So there are multimodal transportation through China now, right? It's trains that you that can get from the eastern part of China to Europe in under a week and then can deliver goods within two weeks and costs kind of in between air freight and sea freight. So there are a sure. lot of things happening right now that are that that are basically the creativity that has come with the necessity to get things um, to continue moving during sure. COVID. We need to get Elon to build a hyper <coughs> a hyperloop over here, you know. Get that a giant thing. tunnel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so speaking of COVID, which had a major impact, right? And 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 I think that the manufacturers here have done a great job of, and the government certainly of, of stopping uh, mitigating COVID as much as they possibly could. Anybody in the world really can look at Vietnam and say they've been an example of what's the right way to do it. So good recovery in manufacturing. Certainly there was a downturn. And now you have the um, the new FTA agreement, right? The EU FTA? Uh, yeah, the, the European-Vietnam free trade agreement. Huge advantage for Vietnam, is it not? I, I, again, I'm not manufacturing, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how that affects Vietnam. And, uh, well, Vietnam, the, e, the EVFTA is actually not the first one. The Vietnam happens to be fortunate enough to be sort of at the convergence of lots of different free trade agreements. Right. So there's there's the JPA, the Japan Partnership. There was the, the Korean Free Trade Agreement, the ASEAN Free Trade Agreement. They have something called the RECP, which is the Regional Economic um, um, Partnership. And the result, and then they had the CPTPP, which then, when um, not to get into politics too yeah. much, but it's not around at the moment. What a shame, um, too, right? What well. a shame. Well, so the the result of all of these free trade agreements, including the EBFTA, um, is that Vietnam has free trade agreements with seventy percent of the global GDP right now. If the CPTPP had come into force, it would have been over ninety percent of the global GDP would have wow. free trade agreements with Vietnam. So it's a huge draw. It's a huge opportunity for for Vietnam, not only just to make and export stuff, but also to kind of climb up and be a real, um, you know, be a real factor in, in terms of just the global stage. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Um, but the Viet, I think the EUV, uh, the EU Vietnam FTA is going to add, um, gosh, um, I think two or three percent, um, um, you know, whole number percents to to the GDP of the country. It's annually. It's, you know, it's got yeah annually. Yeah. It's 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 a big it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big shot deal. in the arm for sure. I, what a, what a great opportunity for and goes out. into force immediately. Lots of what the EVFTA um, is offering doesn't have to wait ten years. It actually goes into force from day one. Sure. What percentage of textile manufacturing and export is uh, the GDP of Vietnam? Um, it's about, um, I think it's about 22 or 
to 23%. So out of a 250 um, um, billion GDP, let's say nominal GDP in Vietnam, I believe that the, um, let's see, last year, the, um, I believe uh, it was around 32 billion in textiles um, and garments, garments. Yeah. Uh, in 2019 and around 18 billion in footwear and accessories. So that's, you know, that's pushing 50 billion. Wow. So roughly and roughly 20 to 25% is what it is. So it, it means a lot. It employs a lot of people here too. Yep. Yep. So speaking of that, and, and I want to shift one thing, you guys make stuff. So you, you, you make this stuff and, and part two of this three part series, I'm going to be interviewing Carrie Zeisiger, who has a number of retail shops here in Vietnam and, Part three, I'm interviewing Betty Tran, who designs this fashion. But, you know, now we get into retail, right? And the growth of retail, feeding retail, because if well, if people aren't buying it, who's making it? Who are you making it for, right? So what do you think about the retail growth in, in uh, Asia and worldwide for you guys to be able to support? Well, it's a. Uh, I, I would have answered it more. I would have answered more confidently and differently eight months ago. Mm-hmm. It's completely changed. Um, well, I guess not changed, but accelerated. I think everybody recognized that online versus brick and mortar was going to be a thing, sure. you know, a year ago, but they just didn't realize how rapidly that it was going to, um, to be, to be important. So I, I think that, um, in the first half of the year, my understanding is, for example, American retail brick and mortar was was uh, was down at you know in March and April eighty percent, eighty five percent. It was it was just unbelievable the numbers wow. that we were seeing. While we were seeing the online was up five hundred percent, right, something like that. Of course, the five hundred percent did not offset the eight the, the eighty five down, sure. but you just saw this massive you know spike. In, in people figuring out a way to get a thing that they wanted. Well, and so locked in too. You had no choice, right? You gotta go online and buy what you need. You don't have much you choice. Did. With it. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think in the future with the online acceleration, um, I think that there will still be brick and mortar. I think the brick and mortar might look a little bit differently in the future. It may be a lot more of fitting and trying on or, or limited stuff. Um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to keep 60% of the store from being the stock room. Um, but I also think it gives an opportunity to small and medium businesses that, that, that never had before. You don't really have to pay $10,000 a month in rent at a mall mm-hmm. in order to advertise your product. So it's going to, I think we're going to see a lot more, um, just different design. We're going to see a lot more innovation in, in textiles, garments and footwear because you're going to allow everybody basically to compete on a, on a, on an equal stage. So yeah, I think it's going to be exciting. More customization, right? More maybe For personalized sure. concierge. I, I had a guy approach me and talk to me about his shoe company that he wants to be able to manufacture shoes through the internet, size it, 3D modeling kind of stuff, right? And then drop ship from a factory. Well, that's a new business line for factories here. It doesn't have. It doesn't mean you have to go out of business, right? You just pivot a little bit or open up new business lines. Sure. So there's opportunities on both sides: the, the manufacturing side and the retail. And design right. Side. Well, a great example is men's dress shirts. So I was at a company in the north that was, that makes men's dress shirts, big, big, one of the biggest in the world, and they were talking about mass customization. And right. and mass customization is they said, you know, instead of making three hundred thousand of a certain type of shirt, right now our customers we've changed our 
a factory. So instead of having 30 people in a line making one shirt and one, everybody sewing, making a single component. And at the end of the line, a shirt comes out. Maybe sure. we have four people that make a shirt now and we have little pods. And what that means is if somebody orders a shirt, let's just say on Amazon, they can pick the collar. Is it French or is it standard? And they can pick the cuff. They can pick how the, the, the type of buttons they want. They can basically do some customization of that shirt. They press the button. Okay. To say, I want it from Amazon. That order goes to a factory in Vietnam. They make the shirt and they ship it back and somebody gets it in less than a week in America. Right. Made in Vietnam. <laughs> one piece. Right? right. And what it does for the, the, the converters, the, the contractors is instead of having to force themselves to make this thing for the lowest possible price, let's say that they, you know, they, they finally get somebody to say they're going to make it for, for $5 a piece. Well, they, they can make a million at $5 a piece and they can make a very small profit or maybe they can make um, 200000 at $40 a piece. Right. Right. So that benefits them because they make a better profit. It benefits the consumers because they're getting something that really more customized that they want. Right. Again, there's a lot of opportunities here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, you know, it, the, it never ceases to amaze me that in crisis – it, it creates opportunity. People adapt. You know it, it, how brilliant people are and creative people are, and 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 industries get scared. You know th- that it's going to wipe out. You know the music industry, but then the music industry shifts, and you know Apple becomes the biggest. You know thing on, <laughs> online ever, right? It's right. just it's always incredible to me. So and and uh, to listen to guys like you. Uh, who know uh, their businesses and, and I can really learn from is always a pleasure. So, yeah, through that. through crisis, you know, comes opportunity. Yeah. I remember in February when um when we were you know we COVID has been a very big um a, a big thing for manufacturing because. Uh, the risk is if one person gets infected in a factory, you have to shut your entire operation down. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's so it's important. So we have been working at Coates really. How do you bring in a thousand people into a factory every day, but nobody gets within six feet of each other wow. for the entire day in every department. How do you keep people hand sanitized and how do you keep people basically, pro, you know, protecting themselves and protecting others? So it's been a whole redo on, on how factories are laid out, right? It, including like one way lanes, how you, how you sanitize paperwork when it passes from one people, you know, wow. from, from one person to another. So it's been a, it's been a huge challenge. And I remember in February when I was talking to my CEO and reporting to him and saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're so proud of what we've done and we've, we've, you know, we've started to put in all of these, these things to mitigate the COVID risk. And he said, he said, great, Bill. He said, gosh, but have you really thought about the opportunity? You're, you're, you're managing the risk, but you guys have to think about the opportunity this is presenting itself. And from that day, we started thinking about, you know, what is the opportunity with the opportunity in Vietnam was hundreds of millions of face, face protection, basically Mm -hmm. face masks and face masks and PPE has been something that Coates has been supporting globally, but in Vietnam from very early, how to help the contractors pivot from making a t-shirt to a full, you know, medical gown. Right. Level or, one down. Yeah, for sure. Right. So it's been really interesting. And I think that if, if people are willing to look not only at the risk, but also at the opportunity, there's a lot of upside. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, the, it's interesting what happened with PPE here. Obviously, the the the, the emergence of COVID had, had a lot of people shift because their 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 fashion design stopped. I know a bunch of guys who then got into PPE, but now it's kind of shifted back a little bit, right? So right. You gotta, you really gotta stay fluid <laughs> these days. That's one thing that we all learn. You do. We we actually coach them. Just to put a plug in for coats, we actually did a series of um, webinars uh, in uh, in April, May, and June, where we um, taught people how to pivot from making. Um, basically regular textiles to medical related textiles and PPE. And if you go on the coach website, um, you can find those webinars and information about how to, you know, how to, how to move from manufacturing something traditional to something that uh, may be in much higher demand right now. Yeah. It has to be tested for uh, water resistance and seepage and, and get its CE certification, FDA certification. Correct. That's, a, that's a higher level of, uh, so, of some do, some do, yeah. some do, many, many don't, but some do depending upon you know kind of where you're selling into if you're selling into clean rooms and you're selling into you know hospital um, environments there may be some additional requirements but i think on our website that um, that we would um, actually refer you to the regulations that, that you would have to um sure. you'd have to um abide by too oh well, that's great that's really nice that you did that for the for the manufacturers you support what a great idea so five years from now where do you see APAC, where do you see Asia in the global market with manufacturing, given you have political risk now, you have this potential of SARS or COVID coming back or mutating? I mean, where do you, where do you see this whole industry uh, growing versus other places in the world? Well, you know, so people talk about costs going up. Right. And costs going up and gosh, our costs are going up. And so, you know, the business is going to migrate away from here, away from there. And I think that right now, just for Vietnam and Southeast Asia, there's it's really all about relative cost. Costs in Vietnam are going up, but they are in Malaysia. They are in Thailand. They are in Bangladesh. They are everywhere. So basically, as your costs go up there, your the competitor countries, let's call their costs are also going up. So Mm -hmm. this is really a battle about efficiencies as well. I give you, um, well, Africa, Africa is making a pitch for it. Again, infrastructure and efficiency of workers are, are, are really kind of the things that kind of break the back of that at the moment. But there are a couple of, um, large industrial parks in, in, in countries right now that, that, um, textile manufacturers have gone to, 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 to kind of practice and to, to see, um, you know, how it works and to, Get, I guess get a kind of put a stake in the ground. Sure. But if you think about if you get if you think about China though and footwear, here's my last little piece of useless trivia. All right, <laughs> um, the you know how many how many pair of shoes are made in the world, Granger? About twenty two or twenty three billion pair of shoes Is that right? are made per year. Right, you okay? guys make about five hundred million of them, right? We we provide thread for 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 well over um, I would say a billion a billion and a half a year um, and, and maybe more um, but it, and it, these are all kinds of shoes shoes that are plastic and shoes that are sewn and right so so um, China makes about fifteen or sixteen billion pair of those shoes per year out of the twenty three billion this number two is India they make about two and a half mm-hmm. number three is Vietnam which right. makes about one and a half. Um, 
So, so, so if you think about it, you know, we talked about, uh, about what's the next China? You know, who's going to be the next China? Well, at the end of our discussion, we realize, well, China's going to be the next China. Right. You can't move 16, <laughs> you can't move billions of pairs out when the number two player is two billion. For, so for every 1% of, 16 billion that is migrated, which is 160 million. If you migrated 1% of China to Vietnam, it would make the shoe industry increase by 10% here. So it's really about how much can people swallow, right? So China's going to make shoes for a a while, right? I I don't even know if the ports can sustain that here. Well, I mean, you don't have enough infrastructure really to grow that much bigger too fast, too quickly in, in Vietnam and uh, in some of these other countries. Well, that's true. I think I think that the number of container units that, that Vietnam does um, per year is a little bit less than just what Shanghai does mm-hmm. right. per year. So, yeah, so there's a huge – I think, again, uh, the, the opportunities, if you're willing to be here, the opportunities are, are, are endless, you know, if you, if you have uh, – if you have the courage just to be here and to and to and to be in the opportunity, well, I tell you, you've followed the wave of opportunity from Korea here, and 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 uh, I don't know anywhere else either of us would like to be right now. It is a a great country. It's certainly growing. The government's very supportive, and we're safe and healthy. How lucky are we, Bill? Right? We are. We should all be very grateful because um, with all of the political unrest in all in many countries around the world, I think that we, there's a lot of stability here and we get a lot of support. The government loves business here yep. they, and they love health and safety too. They've proven that over the past six months. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty grateful. My family is as well. And, and, um, and we, that's just, I think a, a note of thanks is, should be given to them. Absolutely. Well, on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Bill. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot, as always I do when I speak with you. And uh, I think our listeners will learn a lot from you as well. Thanks a lot, Granger. It's been a pleasure to be here, and I hope I catch up with you really soon. Absolutely. For everybody else, uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, the next episode we will follow up with is Carrie Zeisiger. Uh, who is with Havana. And uh, we'll follow that with another episode with Betty Tran to complete the manufacturing textile and retail episodes that we're doing, the series. Until then, thank you so much. Be safe. This is Granger Whitelaw. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. If you want to support what we do, then share and leave a comment. You can always find us on our website at thevietnamgroup.com forward slash The Lotus, as well as our Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and just about everywhere in the world. Just search for The Vietnam Group. We post updates daily and feature the Lotus blog and podcast. Until next time, the Lotus Talks. See you soon. <laughs>